Welcome back to another Cairo London podcast. Craig McLean here again. And this week it is all about bike fitting and how to make your cycling as comfortable and pain-free as possible. So I obviously appropriate that I ride my bike 30 miles or 50, 60 K down to Cranley in the Surrey Hills. Uh, have a chat to Adam Woolley, who is a bike fitter who has basically done training in many different locations throughout London and I'd consider to be one of the better bike fitters around the place for sure Uh, and he's opened up his new venture called the fitting room in Cranley so we're sitting inside his fitting studio and talking about knee pain and foot pain and back pain and neck pain and basically how or what you really should be doing in terms of uh, trying to fit your human frame, your spine in whatever format it is in, onto a bicycle. So, you know, everyone's riding bikes way more these days, especially at this time. I know bike sales have gone through the roof. And uh, so, you know, it's a really good opportunity, I thought, to sit down with Adam and just look at what you can do to be as comfortable as possible. So hope you enjoy this one. It goes on for a little while. Maybe if you're not into cycling or not a bike nerd, this is not for you. But we obviously get into not just bike fitting, but what else you can actually do to yourself from a Cairo perspective or what things you need to be looking at with regards to function of your spine, not just how you sit on the bike. So hope you enjoy. Adam Woolley, welcome back to the Cairo London podcast. Oh, it's welcome back. To be back. Yeah. Am I, I the first returning uh, uh, guest? Well, I think you are because obviously we broke away uh, when we decided to do that lap of the M25. And uh, at the time, the Cairo London podcast was all about interviewing chiropractors. And then there was this random episode, <laughs> <laughs> which has proved quite popular when I look back at some of the uh, stats on this thing. Oh, um, good. Um, yeah, uh, you know, you've got to have some variety on there. Anyway, let's set the scene. Um, this is obviously the whole idea of this was to be all about bike fitting because I was reminded of this by a client of mine at Putney uh, who has just done that thing of went and bought a bike and then realized that she had a few back problems and um, thought it'd be a good idea to have a fit. So, effectively doing things probably completely the wrong way around. Um, But um, it just sort of reminded me that there's probably a lot of questions out there by people who are just like, I'm going to buy a bike, I'm going to invest a lot of money into it, Um, what should I do with regards to making sure my body or some of the strange variations of my own individual body fits onto a bike that I'm going to spend a lot of money on. And we have a fair bit of history uh, between, like as a chiropractor, I was always interested in the concept of how a body fits onto a bicycle. And I look at it from a, you know, mechanics of the human spine perspective. And uh, we have done some training together about bike fitting. Yep. Um, however, I just want you to set the scene now. Where exactly are we right now? <laughs> so we are in the heart of the, the Surrey Hills. Um, we are in the town of Cranley and we are in a new uh, shop. It says the fitting room on the front. Technically, it's the fitting room and the fettling room. 
Uh, I've set up with a friend of mine, Chris. He's doing mechanics, uh, top level coffee, and I'm doing bike fitting and custom bikes under the same roof. And we're sat in the fitting room. Uh, used to be a dress shop, so uh, play on words there. We're in the fitting room as it was, uh, now a different type of fitting. And uh, we've got a couple of coffees. The weather is uh, really rather nasty outside and you've made uh, great inroads into the, the headwind on the way down, hoping that it'll stick and give you a, a boost back to London. But uh, no, we're about 30 miles south of London and uh, yeah. chatting, chatting all things fit. I've got to say, it's a bit brutal getting down here. I don't know if I'm <laughs> just actually getting old and feeling my age or whether that sort of headwind was just like uh, mentally breaking me down. But, um, <laughs> Did you, need, did you need a big windbreak? Oh, so I did. Um, it was easier riding around the M25. <laughs> um, but look, let's let's go into it. The sort of the, the aim of this um, is to sort of try and break down all the different can of worms that is bike fitting, right? Um, and uh, on my little agenda that I've put together here, um, let's go into a little bit of the the history because look. As far as I'm concerned, like bike fitting is, you know, fitting a, a human frame to a bicycle is not an exact science. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's, that's fair enough. You know, there are so many factors between uh, a person and their bike or bikes you know, the yourself and, and myself, we've got a load of different bikes, different pairs of shoes, on off-road bikes, on-road bikes. Um, you know, and there is there is the guys at, at CycleFit talk about the fit window. You know, someone's bike, someone's saddle height is not to the point zero one of a millimeter. There is uh, an acceptable margin in there. Um, and if you just think of the number of things, just saddle height alone between the stack height of the pedal, the thickness of the shoe, the how worn the cleats are, what pair of bib shorts they're wearing, how worn that saddle is. There are so many things between that rider's foot bones and their, and their sit bones. So, um, yeah, it's not an exact science in that sense. However, the, the beauty of modern fit is that we have so much technology we can call on to get things uh, moving in the right direction and get people comfortable and avoid those injuries that plague people's riding careers. So uh, you have done some. So let's let's look at some of the common places that people go to in London, right? So obviously, uh, and I did refer um, Hoppers down here. Actually, do you know Damien Hopley or not really? The name rings a bell. Anyway, he's uh, he's finally going to go and buy a new bike, and I said you should come down here. But he's and he's one of the guys uh, that Putney look after for for years. But that aside, um, Cycle Fit was kind of like, and for years, was kind of the guys that almost started off the the sort of bespoke bike building and bike fitting uh, in out of their base in Covent Garden, and they also. Uh, for whatever reason, we're trying to, 10 years ago, um, standardize a bit of the offering of a bike fit and sort of putting together these kind of industry events, workshops, seminars to um, try and get the leaders in the field across the world um, to give their insight into stuff. You know, I know um, that Bontrager, Mr. Bontrager came over and uh, I was there for that. Um, uh, there was a few other people, but but either way, it was like, 
um, there are many different sort of systems that people use to fit someone to a bike. Um, uh, so CycleFit's one of them. Obviously, Pearson, you um, you did some time at the Pearson Cycles in, yep. um, in Sheen. In Sheen. And then it would be rude not to talk about Sigma Sports offering and um, Jimmy Wilson down there. Um, who obviously used to work at CycleFit for a decade, I think, and has since come back to Sigma. Yeah. Um, and he's a great guy um, to go and see as well. Um, and obviously, you know, you've bounced around from different places and it's great to see you've actually got your own place set up. So then, um, you know, you can sort of bring all that together. But why don't we do that thing of like, what are the, the sort of more, com- maybe the top three common ways or like uh, signature methods of fitting someone to a bike right i mean um i'm talking about obviously like retool or something is yes that's that's what i'm talking about right so different types of uh, someone says they've had a bike fit that can cover uh any number of sins um from you've been fitted by one of the best bike fitters in the country over an exhaustive three-hour session using stop motion video uh, possibly infrared tracking on the retool system or other uh, or others um, down to some bike shops have a thing where they measure your height and your and your inseam and uh, and put you on a bike there and some people consider that a bike fit um, so I think it's fair to say that there's every possible iteration between uh, height and inseam measurement up to pressure mapping video analysis, aero uh, assessment, wind tunnel testing, you know, there is an amazing array. And, uh, you know, often the customer at first contact doesn't really know whether the, whether what they're after is, what, what you're offering is the right thing for them. Um, so we see a, a wide range of people from beginner cyclists who are looking to buy their first road bike up to seasoned uh, seasoned riders like yourself who have tried every uh, racing discipline in the book and uh, are looking for a, a different type of uh, of improvement but um, like but I, I was gonna like because I think probably maybe a little while ago there was this thing whereby I seem to remember it was like well you'd have the retool system and then you'd be kind of like promoting the fact that your shop had retool right and so then people would be seeking that out right or then there was like the bg fit thing right um or didn't like or was that was that specialized sort of little way of doing it specialized you know for specialized shops doing their type of thing they've had trek precision fit in uh in collaboration with uh with cycle fit um shimano had their own system there's bikefitting.com um so the these uh, brands of fit come and go, yeah. um, move around a bit. But um, retool has been quite uh, quite common, uh, quite sort of. It's it's a good system. You can send one of your bike shop employees away to get a to get fit trained, and you buy the system in at the cost of a few thousand pounds, um, and I believe you pay the subscription. The the onus then is is, I think what. What I've come to think about retool is some of the very best fitters in the country, I think, use the retool system for its, uh, for its accuracy. Uh, guys like Phil Burt um, at uh, British Cycling and, and Team Ineos, um, they use that system. Um, and then I've seen some really terrible fits coming out of a retool, uh, you know, authenticated uh, shop. 
using the infrared uh, reflectors on the body has a margin of error. If you put the reflector in the wrong place, it's going to give you uh, the wrong setup. So uh, the other thing there is your retool fitter. You want to know how long they've been fitting and how long it took to train them. I believe you can take a two-day course and consider yourself a bike fitter using the retool system, whereby the computer tells you where to put the, the markers on um, and then it tells you to move the saddle up or down, forward or back. The computer's telling the fitter what to do. Uh, and the worry there is that the fitter isn't using their own uh, eyes and knowledge to see whether what they're looking at is actually right or not. Um, so, so it can spit out some errors. So let's just maybe back it off a little bit just for those that don't know what the retool system is. It's literally a case of like putting uh, stickers uh, on the major landmarks of the body, um, which then has this quite nifty computer program which kind of yep. maps out this kind of 3D model and measures it all for you uh, based on where you put the stickers on the body. Yep. Um, and it's quite a cool bit of kit. But um, like I said, um, uh, I think... What has happened, um, if we step back from that again as well, is that I think the, the, the best offering of any fitter is someone who has a ton of experience and Absolutely. has probably gleaned stuff from all these different systems that we've spoken about, spent a decade making loads of mistakes um, or sort of learning a lot about things and then uh, coming up with, as you say, the, using your own brain eyeballing the problem and just sort of trying to be a little bit creative with it and then yeah. and, and that's where i think it sort of turns into well that's where it's maybe that's what i meant by it's not an exact science because it's not like a plus b equals c it's okay. like a case of like there are so many different things that can actually happen yeah um, and the 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 retool system is one of the that that infrared tracking uh, is one of the tools that a fitter can use to to do a better job along with uh freeze frame video analysis, um, as well as manual tools. You know, a lot of stuff you're measuring with a measuring tape um, or a goniometer, you know, to, to check the angle uh, like a big protractor. Um, and you go want to use all of those things in collaboration and make sure that your uh, fitter has plenty of experience. If you're going to shell out, uh, you know, a few hundred quid for a really good fit, make sure that you're getting someone who, who has lots of experience of different systems and fitting different types of people. Now, therein lies the other can of worms, right, is that a bike fit is literally uh, a snapshot in time, right? A person walks through your front door, their body is presented to you, and you have to try and fit that body as it is in that form to a bike, right? To that bike, to uh, that bike. using those shoes and etc. Which might so, be the completely wrong bike shoe and everything set up. But I'm talking about this whole concept of then the fit versus function, right? So mm -hmm. someone's body function uh, is obviously at a certain level when they walk through that front door. Now, um, most people, uh, without a doubt, have some level of improvement of function that could occur <laughs> to enable them to Definitely. actually do things better, right? Um, and this is where the, that idea of in an ideal world, uh, even in your environment right here, you would actually have a room next door whereby there's someone doing body work to actually try and help someone with uh, whatever challenge that they actually present. Obviously biased towards chiropractic as a chiropractor. Um, but, you know, back in the day when we were learning about bike fitting, that was the, uh, the, the absolute 
common theme in any bike fitting presentation was that there's only so much you can do if the body is pretty broken, you know, yeah. uh, and, and that's what I think, you know, probably in an ideal world for you, you would come in, someone would present to you, they would sort of do all the measurements and say, okay, well, this is uh, what we need to do with you right now. Now you go away for three months, go and see the chiropractor twice a week, go and do some yoga, go and do X, Y, and Z exercises to strengthen and improve your flexibility. Then I'll get you back in three months and actually we'll put you into a position which is better for you uh, to be able to ride your bike faster or, or whatever it is that your outcome is, you know. Um, but certainly that idea of you cannot get into this aerodynamic position with currently with what your neck is able to do, you know, or you can't get into that position because your lower back is like a lump of wood. Um, so that's, but you know, that's the ideal versus the reality. Um, and you, you've always got to play that balance and it's everyone's, uh, everyone's circumstances as well. You're talking to someone who has hardly any time, but they are, desperate to get some, uh, some their, their release is, is to get time on the indoor trainer, for example. Um, they're experiencing some pain uh, that prevents them doing that. Now, if you're saying to that person, you need to, you know, uh, work on these particular uh, exercises and come back, they might not have time to do that. But if you're talking to a, a young uh, racer who's trying to work their way up the ranks and you're saying, look, this part of your fitting really needs improvement and you need to do this you need to see this person and you need to come back uh, because you're losing out here uh, you're seeing each person and their as their individual uh, requirements and and seeing what you can do on the day and definitely going forwards that's the 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 main thing that i say to people is this system we can make big inroads today but also if you can come back six months, a year's time, we can look at what's what's changed. Getting the rider in from a position that's causing them pain or discomfort into something that works is step one. And then working with uh, chiropractic, physio, uh, and getting the time in on the bike, months down the line with that person being in the right position, suddenly there are way more options to, <laughs> to build that rider's um, build that rider up to the next level. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm sure a lot of people don't even spend much time on the bike. They come in here, they haven't ridden much at all. And then, or they've maybe ridden for a month because they're like, okay, I bought a new bike. Yep. I'm going to get fit. And then they do that and then they end up with a problem. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got to sort of get them into a position which is comfortable uh, and then help them address whatever that, that issue is, right? Yeah. So, so let's just, can I ask you... What do you reckon the most, like three most common problems are that actually, and let's maybe address um, some things we can actually do about those three problems as well. So what do you reckon when someone comes in, what are the most common things that people want help with? Um, the top three would be knee pain, lower back pain, buying a new bike. Um, Love it when people say I'm buying a new bike, I need help picking out what it is, as opposed to I've bought this new bike, can I fit to it? And the answer isn't always yes to that one. Well, maybe let's just address that one as well and then we'll get into maybe sort of three symptoms. But um, uh, obviously in your eyes, um, the order should be bike fit number one, uh, buy the bike number two. 
Absolutely. Uh, we're talking mainly about road bikes. Road bikes come in two centimeter increments. Um, so to use the well-worn um, buying a suit analogy, there's buying a suit in a suit shop uh, and sort of chucking a couple of the jackets on and uh, and saying, I think this one's better, which is throwing your bike, throwing your leg over a couple of bikes in a bike shop and saying, I'll have this one, or you know, uh, maybe getting a little bit of help from the from the from the shop, but not much more than I think you're this size. Um, and then people order online. So that's like picking your suit size online and, uh, and going with it like that. So uh, you wouldn't sp- spend thousands on something without having making sure that you're A, buying the right size and B, that it can be tailored to fit you perfectly. Um, so this is the, the, the battle of the bike fitter a lot of the time because someone will bring you something that they've inherited or they've spent a lot of time on, uh, a lot of money on, sorry, and uh, you have to let them know that that either has limitations or is entirely unsuitable. People get lucky, but generally, if you're going to spend thousands, and people do spend thousands, which is fantastic, uh, on the latest and greatest gear, um, why wouldn't you spend a couple of hundred getting your position assessed first Mm -hmm. so that you know exactly what you're looking for I bet you, um, and help you pick the right size. I bet you in this day and age of like, uh, you know, online bargains and stuff though. Um, yeah. It's that thing where there's like, man, there's this five grand bike, but it's got 2000 off. And yeah. I'm not sure if it's exactly the right size, but I got a 58. Um, because I was a 58 was... in another brand. So I'll be a 58 <laughs> with this one. And I is, got it. It's like, wow, this is awesome. And then you sit on it and then they feel a bit long or whatever. And then they come in for a fit. And that's where you have to sort of give them the bad news. But um, so... I guess, but in reality, because there's only two centimeters difference between, um, say, a 58 and a 56, there's probably a bit you can do within stem length and where the saddle goes and all that sort of stuff to kind of bodge it up, right? Or is that like just... No, no, there's, I mean, there has to be, you know, you say to someone that the bike they've had for three years um, uh, is, is the wrong size for them. Yeah. They, they might not have, you know, a few thousand pounds to buy a new one. They might not want to deal with the faff of selling it on. You yeah. know, that bike might be on the way out. It's every, every rider is different. And um, what often happens with the fit is you end up with a compromise on the current bike. Mm. Um, it sometimes works perfectly. It sometimes gets, gets better, the, the setup on the bike in terms of... But you don't want a five grand bike with a nine centimeter stem, right? That type of thing. Or less, you know. <laughs> really? Uh, no, exactly. So, yeah, you want... Uh, there's always, there's every fit, there's here's what could be better next time you buy a bike. Even mm. if it's, these cranks could be shorter next time you buy a set of cranks or if you're specking up a bike. Yeah. Uh, so there's always... Uh, considerations at the end of the fit sometimes that's sell this bike immediately so give us your comments on and I know you have just let's talk about your new brand of bike you're actually bringing into the UK (laughs) Um, but that idea of do you really need a custom frame right and and who needs a custom frame versus who doesn't need a custom frame I think the the world has changed since the days when uh, when I was getting trained up by CycleFit, um, and a lot of the bike, a lot of the bikes that you could buy on the market were still quite aggressive race geometries. That was just a bike yeah. back then, 
Um, now there are, there's every type of, of bike geometry available. Um, so the, the call for true custom is, is less than it used to be. Okay. It used to be that people couldn't buy a bike that would actually fit them in certain circumstances, like poor flexibility, short reach, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I think that has been replaced a little bit by um, what people are doing with their bikes. People are riding gravel. They're riding, uh, they're putting bike packing bags on and going across country, things like that. So the, the custom these days is A, you could, custom geometry will work really well for some people, but also the specification of the bike. So that's what we're looking to do with our terabytes here. Titanium custom bikes for people uh, depending on their application, what kind of riding they're doing on or off road, uh, and whether they are uh, six foot five and a hundred kilos, or if they're a lightweight climber. You know, you can uh, adjust the geometry, but also the build of the bike depending on what's going to be done with it. So yeah, this frame is called Terra. Yeah. Um, T E R R A. Yet to be launched. We've got our first production bikes coming in in a couple of weeks. Do you have a Some website? More. There, that's on uh, thefittingroom.cc. Uh, there's a bit of info about the bikes, and there'll be a lot more to come uh, on our social media as well in the next few weeks. Road bikes, gravel bikes, and what we're calling the Swiss Army bike in the middle. Road geometry with clearance for massive, great gravel tires. Mm-hmm. What uh, is your road titanium... Uh, like super lightweight or is it just standard or aero or what? As, a, as I was saying, it's, it's kind of, it depends what the person is using it for. Yeah. So uh, for myself uh, on a gravel bike, it needs to be really rugged, uh, really built for, built for strength. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if it was, you know, one of our kind of 60 kilo uh, greyhound riding mates who wanted a, a four season road training bike, we'd go much lighter. Um, So everything, every tube spec'd to what the bike's being used for and who's riding it. So there you go. So that is the difference between, that answers that question about custom though, is that less so about, I've got short legs relative to my long torso, Mm. but more so about what are you gonna use this bike for? Let me help you find the perfect, like, tubing for yeah uh both the weight of it the rigidity of it the you know even the the angles i guess and uh, you know to me it's important where whether the this you see people's bikes leaving bike fits with the saddle pushed all the way back or all the way forwards you're at the very limit of what that frame can offer you so every angle being uh being tailored to you means you've got the saddle in the center of the rails you've got the, the, you've got a nice long stem, you know, down against the, the head tube if that's what you want, or some room to maneuver. Yeah. Um, so it can be tailored to be to look perfect and do exactly what you want as well. Cool. All right, well, look, let's go back to that whole thing of um, common problems that present. Um, so you said knees, back. And look, to be honest, I, I was going to say the third one I can imagine is either to do with neck, arm, hand type pain. Yeah. Um, and I bet you the fourth one is feet. Absolutely. 
or maybe not in that order. But anyway, let's uh, let's address um, some of the common uh, people coming in with all four of those. Let's sort of address it. Um, what uh, what sort of stuff is commonly a problem with knee pain on a fit? Knee pain. Well, we've got uh, four different sides of the knee, um, and they can all hurt in different situations. Um, so we commonly get frontal knee pain um, associated with saddle height, particularly, um, and and again at, at the back, the the base of the hamstring there can be. Uh, can be strained by excessive saddle height. And is that thing where, you know, I mean, it's probably not 100% of the time, but if the seat's too low, commonly the front of the knee will hurt, and if it's too high, the back of the knee will hurt. That is a good rule of thumb. If you're, you know, if you're out there and you're screaming pain in the back of the knee, um, good chance that lowering the saddle will help. Uh, it's not a 100% rule there, but that's, that's a lot of the time. Um, and then obviously we've got medial inside and lateral outside uh, knee pain associated with knee tracking. So we talked about feet um, and the fit, you know, training that you go through. Um, if you're training with cycle fit, some of that, the majority of the time you spend learning about feet, foot setup, cleats. You basically spend most of your time learning about what happens below the ankle. Um, and there's good reason for that. And just watching the, the Vuelta the last few days, you can see even the pros don't have it right in terms of how their shoes and cleats are set up um, and how their knee is tracking between the hip and the ankle. And uh, that can then feed into saddle discomfort, movement of the lower back and the pelvis, again, resulting in lower back pain. So the knee uh, and lower back uh, troubles are often connected because uh, I bet you, yeah. I mean, front and back knee pain um, is a bit more straightforward than the sort of lateral or medial knee pain mm -hmm. because obviously that can be caused by a poor pedal to shoe fit, yeah, um, or sort of towing in, towing out, where the cleat position is, all that sort of stuff. So kind of from the ground up, but then you've got to kind of consider what's happening from the top down too, right? So, Absolutely. Uh, like that, it's it's like a such a can of worms when then you're looking at pelvic rotation and leg length discrepancy and tension, uneven tension within the lower back or the hip flexors or the deep glute or SI function, all that sort of stuff. Um, and that's a classic example of how you can get knee pain, medial knee pain that is actually caused by your SI joint. Um, yeah. And there's no amount of probably, you know, there's probably stuff you can do to accommodate for what that poor function of your lower back is, but until you get that function of your lower back returned, that's where you're just going to be getting nowhere, right? Um, Absolutely. So again, one of those things where treatment and bike fit need to go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, one thing and the other, neither one thing or the other can fix it. Um, and this is something all the time, you know, People say, I've been seeing uh, a chiropractor, I've been seeing a physio for months, and we're making progress, um, but we need to make sure that the bike is optimized uh, and not furthering this problem. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we do get into that quite a lot. So let's go to lower back pain then. What are the common things you see with lower back pain? So as uh, we were just talking about, it can be to do with knee tracking. 
um, and uh, saddle height, either excessive or, or high saddle or low saddle, um, can cause a rocking of the hips, which is then uh, twisting the spine uh, uncomfortably at, at the base there. Um, and then also you can have excessive reach of the handlebars. Um, and quite often you see both. So someone's poor spine is being uh, twisted probably uh, forward and back, side to side, uh, and being uh, stretched forward um, by a bike that's far too long. So with, um, with the sort of lower back stuff, um, and that's where I guess you're also looking at leg length discrepancy as well. So yeah, just, I mean, you're either reaching too far or the saddle's just wrong in numerous different ways, which yeah. then, you know, but then that, that really common thing that you can see when someone's riding in front of you and that right hip drops all the time, you know? Um, yeah, if it's one hip in particular, you know, we, it's amazing how many people come through uh, and you spot a leg length discrepancy that person has no idea yeah. they've ever had. Um, but things you find when you clip your feet into fixed pedals uh, and draw yourself between that and a saddle, it's going to bring out any uh, imbalance or uh, sort of misalignment in the body. Um, and that's why the majority of the first hour of the bike fit, we don't do any cycling. We're mm -hmm. assessing the rider's makeup, assessing their biomechanical limitations and their ranges of movement, mm -hmm. um, looking at the alignment of everything from ankles to knees to hips so that we can understand that rider, talking about uh, previous injuries and uh, surgeries, broken bones, things like that, because suddenly what you see on the bike makes sense if you've got an accurate rider history. So what I see, you know, after I've been a chiro for 20 years and, and um, there's lots of different ways to sort of measure leg length discrepancy, but I'm, you know, I've said this before, where pretty much the, the purest way to do that is to stand someone up in front of an x-ray machine um, and measure or take an x-ray of their pelvis, which includes the sit bones, the ischial bones, uh, the obviously the top of the femur, the hip joints, and the actual the whole pelvis and lower spine as well. Now, obviously, the ground being level, then you take a measurement from the very top of the leg, and that's the purest way of actually measuring leg length discrepancy. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think, you know, the, like anyone that you actually see that you suspect having a leg length discrepancy probably should end up with an x-ray of a standing postural x-ray of their spine to get an exact measurement of that. It would um, be hugely helpful. I mean, this is, it's interesting you mention it because this is what drew me to bike fitting. Um, I started working at Pearson's in, uh, in West London and um, I was... was instructed to have a fit as I would be uh, talking to riders about their bike fit and booking them in for bike fits and uh, we just had a fit with the top fitter at the time was Stuart Jeffries and uh, he discovered that one of my legs was a centimeter longer than the other by his assessment on the day and and it radically affected my bike fit and left me sort of awestruck as to this system of bringing the rider and the machine together um, and that was where I first knew that I wanted to be involved in bike fitting, and, and that's. Do we that ever get around to x-raying your pelvis? Then? 
We did. Uh, you described it as uh, the final scenes of uh, the Titanic. Because <laughs> <laughs> we obviously did that so long ago, I've forgotten. But now you say that, I vaguely remember that uh, you have a monstrous difference in. Uh, I don't know what we actually measured it on. The... I think we, we're somewhere around ten or eleven mil, um, yeah. which. It's, but, it's not as much for me at 6.5 as it is for, no. for shorter riders, but... Uh, but I think has, because you're, you have such a large pelvis, though, it oh, probably... you say the sweetest things. You know, <laughs> I know the way to sweeten the deal. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, that, that sort of rotation is then magnified because of the size of uh, the bones, really. But Yeah, so um, my fit was adjusted all those years ago. Um, I still have the adjustments to the shoe to this day. And uh, I've dealt with a lot of riders with leg length discrepancies ever since. And, and have you been riding with shims under your cleats for since that time, pretty much? Yes, there's been, there, there has been and should be for anyone with, with a significant <laughs> a measurable leg length discrepancy, sort of regular checking on, uh, yeah. on how that is. And, and the, the amount of stack and the amount of wedging between the, the cleat and the shoe has changed slightly over the years but yeah and and it's not a simple science either of like if you've got like 10 mil difference on the x-ray it's not a 10 mil you put under your shoe like i mean no. how many mil do you sort of on average have on your road shoe now um i only have three millimeters yeah so we're but, looking at plugging somewhere between a third and half of the gap but yeah. that's that's really a rule of thumb to start things off yeah and as with a lot of uh, in, uh interventions as we call them on the bike uh during the fit um, you, we do a lot of trial and error. You know, you try the spacer in there, see how the rider looks on the bike, and uh, and try something else, see which works best. Because um, despite all of the hyper accurate uh, tools that we use, sometimes with something like a leg length discrepancy, you want to see how it affects the rider, how it feels for that rider, and uh, and find the best compromise. Very good. I think we've covered a lot there, but let's move on because uh, we might as well just carry on up the body here. So you're talking about sometimes you're too stretched out on the bike or the saddle's in the wrong position. Now that obviously has a big impact on the neck and nerves that leave the neck and going down into the hands as well. So um, what common things do you help people out with when they present with that sort of neck pain? And I assume most of those people, because I passed a guy here today who's obviously was 60 odd and had zero neck range. You can kind of see he's just stuck on the bike in that yep. really uncomfortable position and couldn't really move. Um, how do you deal with people like that? So. It's, uh, it's often a function of uh, the reach to the bar, uh, the width of the bar. Um, we see it, we change a lot of handlebars. Um, and your bike tends to come with a set of handlebars and, and most people, very few people change the width of their bars on the bike. Um, and excessive reach and particularly excessive width can lead to a lot of strain, a lot of extra work in the, in the upper, upper back, the shoulders, the neck. And um, I mean, I often just look at someone riding at the beginning of the fit and you think in no other part of life do we crank our neck right backwards as though we're in the front row of the cinema um, and hold it like that for hours and that's what we're doing on the bike so it is an unusual uh, function of the neck that we do for hour after hour 
Um, and so the, the setup of your handlebars is, the, is one of the final parts of the fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, once we've found the uh, appropriate place for the saddle. But um, there are often big improvements to be made there in terms of comfort because a lot of people say their riding is shortened by pain, discomfort in the neck, uh, the shoulders, even the elbows. Um, uh, you see a rider with their arms locked out, their spine heavily curved because their handlebars are in a different postcode to the saddle. Um, and uh, you know that can lead to numbness and pain in the hands, the wrists, the elbows, and then strain, pain, discomfort in the shoulders. And it doesn't need to happen. And more often than not, you're bringing people from too wide to slightly more narrow, is that right? Or, yes, or it's one of the, you know, as we were talking about earlier, bike geometries have come a long way. You can buy a bike geometry that works for you. A lot of people come into cycling like myself from other sports. Um, and so finally we can buy bike geometries that fit people rather than races. Um, but there are places where the industry is still behind the times. Bikes are generally sold with cranks that are too long, given what we have known for years, not have learned recently. Um, and handlebars are normally too wide. I've got a big pile of uh, wide sort of handlebars in the back that we've peeled off various bikes because uh, your bar width should closely shadow your uh, shoulder width. Now, it uh, goes without saying that someone who you kind of maybe make a little bit more upright and bring the handlebars in so they're in a more relaxed position, obviously could do with like a pile of rehabilitation of their neck, um, improved function of their neck, uh, you know, x-raying a lot of people's necks as I do every day. Uh, you can see a load of degeneration within the spine, commonly in the lower back as well. And that's what we try and help is improve the function, the range of motion of the spinal joints. But, you know, I quite every day I'm telling people, look, you should move every joint within your body through its full range of motion on a daily basis. Yeah. You know? And there's so many people who are just stuck on devices, computers, or just kind of like they start to lose a bit of function around late 30s and then they just kind of ride with it for 20 years. And then they're just kind of like, by the time they get to 55, they just got half the range that they actually should within their neck you know and, yeah and that's where you've got to invest a bit of time in you know it's that that classic thing where you wouldn't even some people wouldn't even think twice about dropping three grand on a set of NV wheels but the idea of actually spending 50 quid down the chiropractor uh, yeah. a few times um, in the month seems alien to them <laughs> you know it'd be like only ever buying upgrades for your car but never getting it serviced yeah it's gonna end badly um and we always come back to this madness of spending thousands and thousands of pounds on the bike and not spending any money on yourself making sure that you're well maintained and that you're even adjusted to or the bike is even adjusted to you there is no sense nor has there ever been of i'll just i'll, I'll adjust to the bike over time that's not how it works yeah now you did mention there before crank length and that quite often bikes are sold um, with cranks too long. Uh, what's your, what, give us some more detail on that. A few uh, studies um, that I've read so, so that you find listeners don't have to. Uh, we, <laughs> across uh, amateur all the way up to pro riders, uh, the analysis shows that crank lengths of between, you know, 
140 mil and 220 mil um, make very little difference to the amount of power you can actually put into them. So one of the things that we've, you know, before technology was able to show us otherwise, you'd think longer crank for a longer rider, longer crank for more leverage, um, but actually the difference between certainly the, the the range of cranks that you can buy somewhere around 165 mil up to 180 mil um, there's not a lot of difference in the amount of power you can generate um, there are considerations of course if you're doing things like cyclocross maybe crit racing where you are levering uh the crank from a from a uh, from a low speed corner or getting going again then then that extra bit of crank length might make a difference but if you're doing something where, like endurance riding, the shorter crank uh, is going to allow you the same amount of power generation, but uh, with your knee lower at the top dead center of the of the pedal stroke, um, you're able to keep your desired hip angle, something that we work on during the fit, and you can lower the body. The extreme of which would be you look at the guys at the Ironman World Championships on that beautiful lava scape uh, blasting along. You know, they've got their torso completely level with the ground. Um, we've, they've brought the saddle way forward, so they're almost pushing the, pushing the pedal uh, back, but they are using really, really short cranks um, and able to generate just as much power as if they were longer. But the upshot is, can bring the body lower and, uh, and have that more aerodynamic position. What is the standard range of, like, because I was assuming that, say, Shimano range of cranks, you can only really get 170, 172.5, and 175, right? Yeah, most bikes is, will be right? sold with one of those three. Um, and some brands will put the same size of crank on every bike that they sell. Yeah. Um, now, there is, you know, you would think at the very least you'd put uh, a shorter rider on a shorter crank the different you know me pedaling at six foot five a, a 1770 crank and someone you know two foot shorter than me uh it's a different the, the size of the circle relative to the person's leg length um is 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 there but generally you know we're still using these outdated crank lengths so if, um, if you wanted to put a 165 crank on a bike what, what brand would you buy what, what can you get? They, they are available. Um, you know, they're not typically sold on new stock bikes because people know those lengths and they stick with them, much the same with the handlebar widths. But um, Shimano, SRAM, and, uh, and Campag are all available in 165. Wow. And yeah, you're a pretty tall guy. Do you ride 175s or do you, do you no, short? I take them off. Every time I buy a bike. And what do you go for? Uh, either 172 or 170. Really? Because I ride a 170 on the track and 172.5 on the road. Um, but as you say, it's uh, for no particular reason. You know, um, Back in the day, I remember my first bike that I bought was a 58 frame and came with 175. So that's yep. what I rode. But then I pretty quickly got out of that habit. But um, anyway, it's an interesting point you say, though, about... Um, you know, the shorter the length, um, the more flatter your body can go and the lower you can go. And the guys from the wind tunnel would love that idea because Absolutely. that's the best way to get aerodynamic is just to lower your saddle and lower the entire body torso so there's less of you on the front frontal plane, you know. Um, yep. Um, you know? Uh, 
Uh, but a common mistake of the of the amateur rider is to think that aerodynamics doesn't matter to them. Yeah. But what pure and simple, once you right, get riding on your bike, most of there's barely any rolling resistance in a in a modern road bike. Um, it's uh, the majority, the massive majority of the work you're doing is pushing air out of the way. So you know your club rider, if you're able to lower them three centimeters at the at the shoulder comfortably. They will be faster over the course of their Sunday ride. Yeah, and that's where a bit of uh, fitting and chiro's or rehab work would be the perfect combination, wouldn't they? So then they can hold that position. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't think we quite mentioned what do you what do you reckon is the perfect or there isn't really a perfect body angle, like you know, there's that forty five degree angle, which is common. Is that what a lot of people sit at, or I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to put a finger on it. I mean, the, the angles that we're really interested in is what's the, the angle of the sacrum at the bottom of the spine compared to the rest of the back. Yeah. Um, all too common, you see this, the sacrum pointed right up uh, and the shoulders are, are way further forward. The only shape that the rest of that spine can make is a huge curve. Um, and you know that's going to be uncomfortable and have ramifications. Um, the other one is a, a simple 90 degrees between the torso and the arms. I mean, uh, whether you are sat up um, in a really sort of uh, casual position or, you know, Remco Venipol sprinting for the line, you, you're looking for around about 90 degrees between the torso and the arms. That's how we can uh, be, hold our bodies up uh, with the least amount of effort over the course of a, a long ride or a short ride. So those are the angles that we're we're working around. Not always the same for everyone, but that's that's if you see someone with their hands miles forward from their from their torso, we've all seen those riders. It's that's not going to be comfortable. It's going to limit their performance. And are you talking about like not the elbow at ninety degrees, but the actual no the the the, 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 the angle between the torso and uh, extended down the arm to the wrists. Okay, um, and. It's something that we look at in our stop motion video and also measure on site. And uh, so it's almost like torso there, arm there. There's your ninety degree there. Yeah, yeah. whether whether you're sat right up or or re in a really aggressive uh, aero position, you know you don't want your uh, you don't want to be hugely overextended there because then you're just again we're getting into that neck pain, shoulder shoulder pain and discomfort. And again, just working really hard in the upper back to support that. Is taking energy away from sapping energy from the rest of the body, the legs where it's needed. That is perfect podcast material right there. By the way, the way we're talking about angles. And <laughs> <laughs> if you can't see, uh... <laughs> yes, we. You will not find this on YouTube, so do not even try and look. Um, anyway. Um, it's good to have a chat to you. As they say, you know, uh, we're sat here in the old uh, fitting room staring at the Wahoo bike, of which I'm going to get on in a minute, by the way, and uh, we'll sort of see how we uh, see how it goes. But it's a nice bit of kit here. And it's a great way to record a podcast is because two blokes can't actually stare at each other in the eye. <laughs> you need to be like at the campfire, yeah. uh, staring down at the campfire there and <laughs> sitting around the fire, chewing the fat, talking about bike fitting. If you've made it this far into the podcast, you obviously are a bit of a cycling geek. So welcome to the end of the podcast. Um, <laughs> and thank you. <laughs> 
I think uh, if you do make it this far and possibly going out on a limb here, um, Adam will buy you a cup of coffee at the fitting room. Um, <laughs> but you have to ride down here. You have to ride down here and book a bike fit. And book a bike fit. <laughs> <laughs> T's and C's um, may apply. Yeah, exactly. Um, but look, oh, is there anything else that we didn't cover? Um, actually, there was one thing I was going to say is that how many people do you get coming for a bike fit that don't have cycling shoes? It does happen. Yeah. Um, I think it's... And do you need cycling shoes to have a bike fit? I would say the, the, service, that we're, the service that we offer is tailored towards people with cycling shoes, cleats, clip-ins. Um, however, the sort of people who are riding in trainers um, and are desperately seeking a bike fit, they tend to be someone who is experiencing a pain on the bike. They're not worried about shoes. And, and the, the offer I always give is, you know, come in, we'll do what we can with, uh, with you in trainers. Obviously, that foot can move around on that pedal, adjust, adapting the fit depending on which shoes you're wearing and, and where you place your foot on the pedal on that particular day. Yeah. So it cannot be as exact, but we can always help uh, people like that. And the, the offer always stands, if you want to get clip-in shoes at any point, come back and we'll finish off that part of the fit. Um, so it's as always a bike fit cannot be a one one stop fix so we always like people to come back uh, we don't need to do a full fit again we just need to do an MOT someone's bought a new saddle new pair of shoes uh, different set of handlebars that that will have made a change to the fit unless you're super careful so uh, seeing your seeing your fitter is not a one stop affair right um, what's the we should just uh, what does it cost to come in and see you for a bike fit by the way we are uh, uh, we do the full fit for 200 pounds yep um, and then a follow up fit uh, a year or so down the line is 100 okay. and we do other options if you have multiple bikes that you want to be fitted to um, say for example a, a road bike and a time trial bike we can do a double session there okay and um, that normally happens over what period of time? That would be between two and three hours, generally. Yeah. Book a book a three-hour slot in your diary, yeah. um, as will I, and uh, you know, two hours for uh, the most simple fits. Three hours if you really get stuck into something, uh, or if we're making lots of adjustments, swapping over handlebars and stems and things like that. Then um, three hours is about uh, about the longer fits we do cool all right mate look thanks for taking the time to go through everything with us uh, I think in summary um, get your fit sorted out before you even consider buying a bike um, uh, take home the information from that fit uh, and therefore then a list of bikes to sort of choose from um, get then for more information about what you need to work on and discuss with your chiropractor physio yoga instructor whatever Absolutely. Um, to then help you ride better um, and then enjoy spending those thousands of pounds knowing that you're on the right machine for you um, and uh, it's a simple process really yeah and you know if your bike that you're on uh, when you come for the fit isn't right we'll identify exactly how much it's off by whether that's relevant um, for the next purchase 
Um, and we've also, you know, we use the jig here, the, the fit bike to find the perfect setup um, and adapt your current bike as best we can. And then when you're looking for the next one, we can find the perfect device. Surely it is like the ultimate excuse to sort of come here. It's like no happier news when someone comes in with a bike they've had for three years and be told that it's completely the wrong size. And then that's the justification all they need to it go and happened. buy a new bike. It has happened. Um, it's like, I don't, you know, went home to the family and you're like, I don't want to buy a new bike, but I've just been told I have to, you know? Wish uh, I could, wish there was something I could do. Oh, we, yep. It's, but, uh, it's out of my control. It's out of my control. <laughs> and, uh, I tell you the best review I've ever had of a, of a bike fit was, uh, uh, a chap coming in and saying, oh, I really enjoyed that. It was like a spa day for cyclists. <laughs> just talked about bikes, adjusted everything, discussed kit and future bikes. Oh, I feel refreshed. So good. All right. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. Bye.